Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, happy Mother's Day. We made it one more year. At least that's how I feel because I have young kids, so I'm like, oh, I made it, I made it. They all survived one more year. But I thought I would tell you just, um, as we, my kids already told on me, I'm a great cook. Um, so we love ramen noodles in our house. Um, I just always offer the most nutritious meals um, in our home. But my son filled out a little card for Mother's Day about things about his mom. You may have seen this on social media, but I wanted to share with you his, some of his answers. So the first one says, my mother's name is, and he says, Elaine. One of them said, I love to ride bikes with my mom. One of them says, my mom laughs when she scares me. I was like, there's a story, but I never got to tell the teacher the story, so I just felt terrible about that one. One of them said, the things she cooks the best is spaghetti. But this last one is the one that got me the most. It says, my mom is 14 feet tall, 50 years old, and has orange hair. I was like, what do you think of me? So I texted a friend, I said, I think I'm doing pretty good for an old giant with orange hair. So I think I look pretty awesome. So that's what my son thinks of me in his eyes, you know. Um, but as I was preparing for this, I've known that I was gonna share on this day for quite some time now. And several weeks ago, probably a couple months ago now, I took some extended time off and was just with the Lord. And I was studying not for this message, but just in my quiet time with the Lord. And in my quiet time, this passage jumped out to me and I knew that this was going to be my Mother's Day message. So I've been working on it for a couple months now and preparing. And this week I was like, you know, what did I do last Mother's Day? And I pulled out my Bible and it was still in here and I actually talked about the exact same person last Mother's Day. So apparently the Lord really wants me to learn something from this person. But I do wanna assure you, this is not a tradition for me. It's not something we're gonna do every Mother's Day is talk about this person. Um, and it's totally different because God has showed me something totally new. And so what I wanna talk to you today about is Mary and her life, Mary being the mother of Jesus. Now I know we can all relate to Mary in multiple ways. One of those is we're all raising perfect children. Yep, we are just not quite so perfect yet, right? You know, we could, at least my children are perfect. I don't know about yours, but mine are pretty perfect, you know? But one thing, it's Mary's famous blooper as a mother, um, it's that she lost Jesus. And, you know, I got to thinking, I can relate to her. I have never lost a child of my own, but prayerfully, I never do. I mean, all of mine are still under the age of seven, so that's, I have a ways to go. But hopefully I'll never leave a child or lose them in a store or anything. But I got to thinking I can relate to her because I have at times lost Jesus. So like for instance, this past weekend I drove to Dallas and I was stuck in traffic and I may or may not have had a moment where I lost Jesus in that car. Not too long ago, my two-year-old comes into my master bedroom and he says, mommy, look, look, and he drags me into my beautiful dining room that's supposed to be off limits and he had made a masterpiece with a red marker all over my walls and my white chairs and my beautiful light oak table and he was so proud. I may or may not have lost Jesus just a little bit in that moment. And so I got to thinking we can relate to Mary in a lot of ways. But that's not what I wanted to talk to you about today. I wanna to look at a season of her life 
And this season is where she was called to do something extraordinary. And that is in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It's the moment where she was called to birth and conceive the Savior of the world. And here's what the passage reads. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. you." Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby will be born holy. He will be called the son of God. What's more is your relative has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. I've titled today's message. Is that better? Is it off? There we go. Sorry. I titled today's message, The Mary Miracle. The Mary Miracle. And the reason I titled it that is because I believe that the same miracle that God did in Mary, he wants to do in you and me today. Now, don't freak out. I don't mean you're all going to get pregnant. I know Ethan said this wasn't just a message for moms and women. This is a message for men. So we're not all going to get pregnant. The miracle that I believe God is going to do in you and me that he did in Mary is this. I believe he wants to conceive Jesus within you. May his relationship with you grow within you so that you can deliver him to the world around you. Now, you may have heard this thing recently or heard it from someone else, but I just want to say it one more time for someone who hasn't heard this yet. He wants to conceive Jesus in you and have his, your relationship with him grow within you so that you can deliver him to the world around you. But the question that often consumes us is the same question that consumed Mary. How? How in the world is that going to happen? And then we add this little sentence that I would like to call our disqualifier. She had a disqualifier that said, I am a virgin. Your disqualifier may look different. God calls you to something extraordinary. He calls you to something grand and amazing that requires him. It's a miracle. And you will say, that's great, God, but how? Because here's my disqualifier. And so today, I want to talk to us today about how we are to do the extraordinary, the miracles that God has called us to do. So I'm going to take the first little part, I'm going to tell you our part. I have three points on what is our part of um, producing and doing this miracle that God's called us to do. And then at the very end, I want to tell you his part. But to get started, I want to tell you the first thing that is our part is number one is to change the conversation. Change the conversation. Now, let me explain. In this story, there's a conversation happening. Mary is, an angel comes to Mary and says, guess what? You've been chosen by God. You are favored. You're going to do something extraordinary. And she goes, who, me? And he's like, yeah, 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 you. You're going to carry and conceive and birth the Savior of the world. And she goes, "Mm, slight problem. 
See, I don't know if you noticed this. There was a little asterisk on my resume when I submitted, God, I'll do whatever you call me to do. There was this one little asterisk that disqualifies me from what you're saying, and it is that I am a virgin. And the angel replies back, and he says, oh, no, we know that. We read your resume. We know you're disqualifying facts. We know what you're not capable of, but don't worry. He's got it. He will do it. And he'll take care of it, and he has a plan, and he's not going to leave you through the process. And then the conversation shifts in this moment. It, it dawns on her, oh, hold on. We're not having a natural conversation. This actually isn't about my natural abilities. This actually isn't about where I stand in the natural. This is actually a spiritual conversation. This is actually a supernatural conversation. And so when she realizes it, she changes how she responds and she says, oh, okay, I am the Lord's servant. I will do exactly as you say. It will be exactly as he has said. She changes the conversation. You and I, I think oftentimes the dreams and the miracles that God places in us stop because we can't get over the how. Because we never change the conversation from a natural one to realize we're talking to a supernatural God. We're not changing the conversation, we're keeping the focus on us and our abilities instead of realizing this is a spiritual conversation about him and his abilities. You know, there's another part in the Bible that reminds me of this versus a natural conversation and a spiritual conversation, and it's when Samuel went to anoint David. You may know this story. He arrives, Jesse calls in all the sons. And he looks at them and he picks out one and he says, oh, you are definitely it. But I love what the verse says in 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 6. It says, Samuel took one look at Elab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is no longer a natural conversation. This is a supernatural conversation. And he changes the conversation right there. You know, when I was reading this, it brought me back to a moment in Sunday school. And I'm about to find out how many of you grew up in church. Because I was in Sunday school and I, there was this old song, I don't know if it's actually old, but it was old for me, that we used to sing. Now, let's see if you know it. I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-E-S-T-I-A-N. N-I-F-C-H-R-E-S-T-M-I-H-E-A-R-T and I will L-I-V-E-T-E-R-N-A-L-O-Y. Oh, a lot of you grew up in church. It's fine. Good job. Thank you for doing it with me. You know. But here's what it dawned on me as I sang that song. I was reminded of the song and it dawned on me. Where do we invite Jesus to come live when we ask for him to be our Lord and Savior? In our heart. So could it be that when he was saying, hey, don't look at the outward. Look at the heart. Could it be that he was saying, don't look at the natural, don't look at his abilities, look at his heart, and if you see me in his heart, he has everything he needs to do what I've called him to do. Could it be that he was telling you, don't look at him, look at me, look at me inside of him? And I got to thinking about that and I just wondered, does Jesus abide in you enough to where when people look at you, they don't see your inability, they see his ability? We're going to have to change the conversation. This is not a natural conversation, what God is calling us to do, what the miracles he's placing inside of us. They're not natural. They're supernatural. And we have to change the conversation. The second thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to believe. Believe. 
you know, Mary responded in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I want to think about this for a second. It's the only time I'm going to talk about pregnancy, but I'm not going to get into the gross part of it. So all you men, don't worry. But in the first three months of pregnancy are actually the most crucial months of that time. Partially because not very much is seen, but a lot is being done. This is the time in the pregnancy where the vital organs are developing, where the heart is beating for the first time. These three months are so crucial for the child's life. And I got to thinking about this. And another lesson I've learned from Mary all throughout is it says Mary pondered these things in her heart. And I began to think about how we have lost the art of pondering because we have so many platforms that we process on. The word ponder actually means to consider something deeply and thoroughly, to weigh carefully in the mind, consider thoughtfully. And when I thought about this, I thought of another word. Now, stick with me, it's plunder. And it means to rob of goods or valuables by open force. And I began to wonder how many dreams and miracles we rob of good and valuable because we're too busy processing it instead of pondering it. You know, John Maxwell, I heard him many years ago. I've listened to him for a long time. He's a great leader. He has great books on leadership. But he says every day he does five things. Every day he thinks. Every day he writes. Every day he asks questions. Every day he reads. And every day he files. I have a feeling he learned something from Mary's art of pondering because all five of those are internal. It doesn't say every day I talk. Every day I post to social media. Every day I push out. He says, every day I give my mind the space to be the powerful thing that God created it to be, to ponder on the things of the Lord. I think part of why John Maxwell has been able to do things that many haven't been able to do is because he gives his mind space and he ponders the things of the Lord. If you and I could step back, instead of processing what God has told us to do, if we would begin to ponder it, and let those vital organs begin to be developed of our dreams and our miracles, I just wonder how much better they'll live. You know, there's so much timing in pregnancy. If a baby is born too early, it struggles to live, but if it actually is born late, the carrier can struggle for life. And I wonder how many dreams and miracles we deliver too early and they are fighting for life And then I wonder how many things we hold on to because of fear. And it actually is not affecting the dream, it's affecting us. We begin to change how we view it and we begin to fight for the life of the dream. But did you know there's only two requirements to being used by God? Two. Capable, not one of them. Smart, not one of them. Good looking, not one of them. He used a donkey in the Bible to do what he wanted to do. He doesn't have a lot of requirements. Here are the two requirements that I believe he has to be used by God, willing and able, willing and able. But the problem is, if you don't believe that God can complete what he has said he will do, you will get so busy trying to produce the miracle that you may actually be willing, but you will no longer be available. If you doubt that he will do it at all, you may actually be available, but you may not be willing. Both of those are required for the miracle of God to be produced in your life. And here's what I know. God can do anything through someone who is available and willing to him. You know, one way we can build our belief is by who we surround ourselves to. 
The verse right after what I just read, it says, Mary hurried to where Elizabeth was. She hurried to where Elizabeth was. She surrounded herself around friends that would believe with her and for her when she couldn't. You know, one of my favorite illustrations of friendship is an elephant. Stick with me, let me explain. Did you know that when elephants, they travel in tribes, and when an elephant is pregnant and she is about to give birth, the whole tribe will surround that elephant facing outward so that she does not fall prey to an enemy in her most vulnerable time. I wonder how many dreams have fallen prey to an enemy because we don't have a tribe that will stand around us in our most vulnerable time. We need people that will believe with us, that will believe for us when we have doubt. We have to surround ourselves with a tribe that is worth walking with. You know, something about pregnant women is they're very conscious that they're carrying something inside of them. If you've ever been around a pregnant woman or you were pregnant yourself, you know that all of a sudden you have an awareness of what you intake and the atmospheres you find yourself in. And you're very conscious that there is life growing on the inside of you. If we could learn anything from pregnant woman, maybe it would be this, that we should become so aware that God is creating and developing and growing life inside of us that we're so cautious of what we intake and the atmospheres we find ourselves in. You know, when I was pregnant with Addie, she's our oldest. She's seven years old now. And so I was pregnant with her. It's my very first pregnancy. She was born in August, so I was pregnant all summer long, which is really fun in Texas heat. And it was my birthday, and Ethan said, hey, why don't we go shopping for your birthday? I had about four to six weeks left of the pregnancy. So I was like, great, let's go shopping. So we're out shopping, and I see somebody in the church. This is back in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I see someone in church that we knew. And so I said, oh, hey, and just smiled and kept walking. And she gave the gracious smile. Obviously, she did not recognize me, and she just kind of kept walking. Well, because we were in the same store, our paths crossed again. And this time, she did recognize me. And she goes, oh, my goodness, I didn't recognize you. Your face has gotten so fat. Thank you. And then she realized what she said, so she began to try to dig herself out of the grave. And she goes, you must be past your due date trying to walk that baby out. No, ma'am, I still have four to six weeks left. Well, don't you look beautiful. I don't know now. (laughs) But people should be aware. They should see something different about us when we're carrying the miracle of God. You know, in Ephesians 4, it says, therefore... I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. We must decide that the call of God is worth walking in a worthy manner. But the only reason we're going to do that is if we wholeheartedly believe that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. In Philippians 1, verse 6, it says, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Okay, so we changed the conversation. We realize this isn't natural, it's supernatural. We believe that he is who he says he is. What's the last thing? It's to obey. Obey. And for this point, I want to jump to another season of Mary's life. It's another popular moment of her life, and it happens to be Jesus' first miracle. And in this, I'm just going to tell you the story. You can read it if you want to. It's in John 2, but I'm not going to read you the whole passage. 
But here's what happens. They find themselves at a wedding. It's Jesus, his disciples, Mary, and the bridegroom runs out of wine. When this day and time, that would have been a disgrace. It would have caused shame on the whole family. It would have been a terrible situation. So Mary looks at Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. And he said, that's not my problem. And she said, she turns to the servant. She says, it's, he says back to her, it's not my time. And she turns to the servants and she says, do as he says to do. I don't think he ever agreed to doing it yet. But she told the servants, do exactly what he says to do. So you know the rest of the story. The servants do what he says. He says, go and fill these six jars, these clay jars with water. And they go and they fill them up. And one of the versions, it says, to the brim of the jar, they fill these up. And then he says, okay, scoop out the water and take it to the host. Take it to the, the most excited guest that we have, the one that is here. Let's take it to the best of the best. So the servants do. And he takes one sip and he says, uh, they don't save the best wine for last. And the servants knew what had happened. But the bridegroom didn't. You know, there's a couple things I want to point out about this story. The first one is, look how much Mary has grown. From the first day that she had an encounter with an angel of the Lord, he, and he said, do whatever I say, I've got this. Now she knows that to be so true that she looks to a servant and says, hey, and I think if there was more writing in the scripture, like if I wrote it, it would have a lot more words. This is what I would have written. Hey, guys, um, I've been here before. You're going to doubt what he's saying. It's not going to make any sense at all. And you think you're going to be made out to look like a fool. But that's not how it's going to happen. Just do exactly what he tells you to do. I promise you, you're about to be amazed. I think that's what she was trying to communicate to them. But look how much she's grown. Her belief has grown. She knows. Oh, no, no, no. This is, I, I know this, this story. I know how it plays out. You know, the other thing that you can learn from this lesson is obedience can be measured. What if the servants would have only filled up the jars halfway? They would have only received half of the blessing. But because every drop that they put in, God matched. And the Bible says, give and it will be given. I wonder how many drops we're holding back that God's ready to transform. That he's ready to turn to life. You know, these jars, they would represent like a religious ceremony. They were used for ceremonial cleaning. They were religion. And yet all of a sudden, through a touch from God, they became this place to be at the party. They became the hopping spot. Everybody wanted to be by those jars. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's something about Jesus that he can't keep things dead. You know, like for me, if I go into a restaurant and there's a crooked picture, I can't eat until I straighten the picture. Like I just can't rest until it is straight. It drives me crazy. I can't handle if cabinets are left open. I have to shut them. Like it is, I cannot rest until that's taken care of. And I will do this. I will get up at a restaurant and go fix their picture so that I can enjoy my meal. I think that's how Jesus is. I think he's sitting there going, I just can't stand that it's dead. I can bring it to life. I can do it. But here's what you need to know. Why did he say to her, this isn't my problem, it's not my time? Because he wasn't obviously saying no because he did it. Here's what I think he was saying. They have yet to acknowledge me in their situation. They have yet to invite me into this situation. And when they do, Oh, I'll transform it. Oh, I'll take care of it. I love to meet the desires of their heart. Remember, his first miracle was not raising someone from the dead. It wasn't anything grand. It was blessing a family, saving them from shame and disgrace. 
which in the big picture really doesn't matter. But yet he cares about the little things. He cares about the details. And I just wonder how many things we have yet to go all in on with God. Because obedience is the thing that he will match. He will meet us in that. You know, I basically could sum up our part to acknowledge God and do exactly what he says. You know, in verse 37, it said, for the word of God will never fail. Acknowledge him and do exactly as he says. So we have to realize we're having a different conversation. Believe what he says and obey with everything in us. We have to go all in. But what will he do on our behalf? You know, when this happened, Mary asked this question, how in the world is this going to happen? And here was the profound thing that was said back to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You wanna know how you're gonna do the miracles of God? You wanna know how you're gonna be able to accomplish the great things he's called you to? Which by the way, if they're not great, you're still having a natural conversation because the supernatural conversation means they're beyond your capability. Do you know how you're going to do it? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. But I love this, and I wanna break down this one word. It says, the most high will overshadow you. Do you know that word overshadow in the Strong's? It explains it as a vaporous cloud that envelops you for brightness. Now I wanna break this down. Cloud would represent the presence of God. Vaporous would mean it was full of water, which would represent the word of God. And when the sun would shine through a vaporous cloud, light would break through and what was dark would become bright. If you want to know what the ultimate, ultimate miracle that you and I are called to, if you want to know how we're going to do it, here's how. The Most High is going to come and overshadow you, meaning the presence of God is going to rest on you. And if you'll fill yourself up with the Word of God, the Son, Jesus Christ, will shine through you and what was once dark will be bright. Did you catch it? If you want to know how you're going to do the miracles God's called you to. The presence of God will rest on your life. You must be filled with the word of God. And Jesus, the savior of the world, will shine through you to bring light to this dark world. But we have to acknowledge him and do our part. And I promise you, he is faithful to do his. I wanna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And when I was praying about this, I just had this burden in my heart that maybe you find yourself in a situation that you have not yet acknowledged him in. You have not yet invited him into. Maybe you need a miracle. Maybe you know what he's called you to. But you have yet to go all in. You have yet to fill it all the way up to the brim. I don't know if that means salvation for you. You've never invited him to live in your heart. I don't know if it's just an instance in your life. I don't know what it is. But here's what I do know. If you'll acknowledge him and invite him in, he's ready to do more than you could ever think or imagine. I believe that today the Holy Spirit wants to come and rest upon you. 
And I pray that today you are filled up with the word of God, that when you leave this place, that Jesus, the son of the God, the savior of the world, will shine through you and pierce the darkness in your world. So I just wanna pray for you, wherever you are, I just wanna pray. God, I thank you that you are who you say you are, that you will do what you will, that you say you will do, that you, if we, if you will conceive it, if we will carry it, you are faithful to complete it. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. There is no one else. And so Holy Spirit, we fill ourselves up with your word. We acknowledge you in our situations, in our lives, with our children, in our marriages, in our jobs. We acknowledge you in all that we are. And we invite you in. We're going all in for you, God, so that you can do the miraculous in our lives. Would you rest upon us? And would you speak and shine through us to pierce the darkness, not just in our families, not just in our marriages or in our lives, but Lord, in our city and in our nation. Would you use us? And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We're gonna go back into worship, so I'm gonna ask you to stand, and we're gonna just worship Jesus with all we are and acknowledge him in our situations. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.